Welcome to Matt Gamecast, episode four. I'm John Carr here with the fantastic Ted. How you doing, Ted? Going good. The wonderful Casper. How you doing? Good. Thank you very much. And awesome. And the star of our show, it's Chris. How are you, sir? I am excellent. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. So uh, basically, we're going to talk about in this episode all about uh, Chris here and indie Matt Game Dev has a cool little zombie game on Steam called Don't Get Bit. So we're here to talk about it and how we started it and how we got there and what it's like to release a game on Steam and all those sorts of interesting questions. Um, I think I may be the only... Uh, Casper, did you play the game? I know you checked it out a bit. Uh, I looked at uh, some YouTube videos of it and uh, yeah, I looked over the Steam page and stuff like that, but right. I haven't actually okay. played it myself yet. Right. I, I did play through the whole thing um, in... I think April, or maybe it was January. It was earlier this year, in any case. Um, very fun, tactical, puzzle zombie game. Don't get bit, go check it out. Um, Chris, so how did you, you know, uh, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your process. You know, like, where, where did Don't Get Bit begin? Did you always have an aspiration for it? Was it like a flash in the pan? How did that get started? Yeah, so... I've always loved video games. I've, I've played my entire life, and in the back of my head has always been... I would love to make a video game someday. And I've done a little coding here or there, nothing um, for games, more business kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a filmmaker by trade. And um, it's just always been that bucket list thing that I would like to do at some point. And uh, when uh, the pandemic happened, I, I run a film school. We had to shut down the film school for four months. Ooh. And I'm I'm someone who loves to be creative. I always feel unhappy if I don't have some creative iron in the fire. And at first I thought, well, I'll, I'll start a new screenplay. I'll start a new film project. But I was so sort of depressed about the fact that the film school was closed that I didn't want to do anything film related. And I thought, you know, this might be the perfect time to do this game that I've always wanted to do. And I thought, yeah, I, I can bang out a game in a few months and it, ended up being way more complicated than I thought. <laughs> um, it was an awesome adventure, but that was the inspiration. I've always wanted to do it. And then there was just this opportunity because of the pandemic to take advantage of it. Yeah. Nice. It's actually kind of a fun thing because uh, I think to a lot of people, the pandemic have been, you know, obviously a downer, and I, but you uh, had that view of it as an, as a, as an opportunity as well. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. It, and it was a, you know, when you film, you obviously have to be able to get together with people to film. Our team for Don't Get Bit ended up consisting of eight people on the development team and six uh, playtesters. So there were 14 of us in total. And wow. there was never wow. a moment when we got together. There was never a moment when, you know, it was like, oh, here's, it was always like uh, a Discord session or a lot of one on one phone calls or texting and, tons of emails, but you know, a game is something that you can create um, long distance. I mean, our composers in California, our uh, lead programmer was in Minnesota. Um, our graphic artist was in Pennsylvania. I'm in New Jersey. Our uh, actress is from California. So it was really cool to bring all those people together who were also in the middle of a pandemic going, I want to make something, you know, let's not let this time just suck. And nice. making the best of, of a situation. That's really cool. That's a really uh, true remote indie dev. That's pretty nice. Um, yeah, I was particularly... I mean, I enjoyed the game for its um, combat puzzle. I love combat puzzles, and I like zombies. Mm -hmm. and it's a zombie combat puzzle. It's great. Um, I really found the artwork striking as well, and the voice acting was really good. So um, you may have had a smallish team, but it was a, a mighty output, I would say. Um Thanks. You... We um, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say um, my my original vision for the game was bigger, and then you very quickly realize why. You know, like I love a game like XCOM, like that's amazing. But you realize that that's a game with a multi million dollar budget and you know over a hundred people working on it, and right. these things are like featured length films that are being produced. And so when you start really looking at, like, indie games, um, you know, obviously the teams are much smaller, but you have to figure out, well, what can we do 
at the size that we're at, you know, with the, of the eight people on our team, seven of us had never done anything with a video game before. Um, okay. All right. And, and so, yeah. you know, there's things that, so I'm, I'm a filmmaker, so I know how to find actors, right. And we, we auditioned 300 actresses over two days, um, uh, sent in uh, voice samples to find the actress. Right. So I, I know I can get a good actor. Um, you know, wow. I, I, we had a very talented graphic artist that I know, um, but she's one person, so she can draw beautiful 2D art, but she's not going to be able to do, you know, amazing 3D graphics, and we're not going to be able to pull that off. And so, you, you know, we, so early on, we're like, well, what if the art style, what if our main character goes to this world with a sketchbook, and she draws sort of like the zombies that she's coming in contact with, and so we'll let our graphic artist's art the art of the main character right and so you you try to figure out ways to keep the fact that we're indie and we can only do so many things still feel like it makes sense in the video game world that we're creating that's really cool yeah my question was gonna be you answered it without me asking yeah how did you go about finding like the actor or actresses or some of the you know it's, you're the talent on your team yeah. basically um so that's interesting to hear um no i really do i really want to shout that out um uh, the artwork, it really is very high quality. It's very eye-catching um, and it's immersive in the theme for sure. So props to that. Yeah, so that that is um, my daughter's roommate at college and she's uh, she just graduated, Katie Grubb. And she's a graphic artist, crazy talented. And I always knew she was a talented artist, but she'd never drawn a zombie in her life. And so it kind of had that panic of like, can you draw the undead, you know, and, uh, and she totally could. And it was creepy and gross and awesome. And, uh, I just got, I remember the first time she sent me a picture and I got goosebumps. It was really cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, talking about that starting process, you mentioned you had to basically align your ambitions with the capabilities of your team. So, um, I'm curious, like how much bigger of a game did you have in mind? If like in the, you know, what if, type of world yeah so my original vision was for the most part similar i I mean i i knew it was going to be 30 levels from the beginning i knew that like kind of the story was the story that i wanted to tell um but i imagined it being more you're going to find weapons along the way and you're going to have attributes and you're going to customize your characters and uh and you can sort of create the characters that you want as you go through on this journey but, and I still think that's a cool idea, but what we discovered very early on was if you're trying to design levels that are, that challenge people who are both maybe beginners and, and have played for a while, um, and um, you, you need to have everything sort of planned out because if you let people design their characters, people could essentially design characters that can't win. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you could put yourself in a situation where you either can't defeat the zombie horde that's about to come at you, or you could put yourself in a situation where you're so powerful that you're just racing through levels and it's no problem. Right. And we didn't, we didn't want any randomness in our game. So our game has literally no, uh, nothing is, uh, goes to luck. Right. So we, we, I think you use the word puzzle, which is absolutely correct. Our game is basically 30 puzzles in a turn-based zombie world. Um, and uh, so we, we had to kind of ratchet back what we were going to do programmatically. Also, it just, I thought this was going to take us, you know, four or five months to do, which was ridiculous in hindsight, and we managed <laughs> to do it in 10 months. Uh, I think if we added all those other things, we'd be looking at years. So. Right. That's very interesting. Uh, that's still a really that's a really impressive time frame, I'd say. I mean, like you said, the game is thirty levels, and there's this art, and there's bits of music, and there's voiceovers, and of course, um, you t- you mentioned playtesters. So, how was balancing this game like across those thirty levels? You know, what was that like? So it was um, that was especially hard. I would say that the level design and playtesting was the hardest part of making the game. Um, for a couple of reasons. So one, there are 30 levels, but you can actually play our game three different times. So we call it the first journey, the second journey, and the third journey. And if you play it through the second and third journey, you get different endings. Um, on the second journey, the rules change. So now 
Um, you have a limited number of turns to complete each level. And then on the third journey, your characters can no longer uh, take hits. If they get bit, that the game's over. Um, you have to restart that level. So not only did we have to make sure the levels worked for the first journey, but that same level design had to work for the second and third journey. So when wow. we got our play testers, um, I got six very different people. So there's, you know, you got people in their twenties and you got, um, uh, older players who are, you know, 50 and you've got, um, people who, there were two people who were sort of experts at turn-based games. So we had two people who had never played a turn-based game and, um, and then we had them play the game and fill out sort of forms that said, uh, you know, level one took me five minutes and three attempts. Level two took me 20 minutes and five attempts. Level three, I finished it the first time. And what was kind of fascinating was people would say to me, oh, level nine, it's too hard. You got to make that level easier. And then the other playtester would say, level nine, too easy. I went right <laughs> through it. And I mean, that happened over and over again. So we started to look for patterns, like if there was a level where, you know, four of the six testers said too hard or too easy, then we would try to adjust the difficulty. But more often than not, you know, we would eventually get it right. And getting it right means, you know, two people say it's too hard, two people say it's too easy, and two people say it's just right. And and that's, you know, that's what happens when you play a good game, I think, is that sometimes some levels you're like, oh, I got it the first time. That's cool. And then the next level you're like, I can't figure this out. And, you know, you have to come back to it. And that's okay, too. Yeah, I definitely experienced that. I can't recall on which levels, but a couple I just, they just clicked and I kind of breezed through them. And the others I just had to play over and over and over. But it was it was a fun challenge. And every time you get a little bit further um, in that challenge, especially some of the later levels when there's multiple zombie types. And um, there's some very clever yeah. levels, very clever level design in the game. That's quite fun, I must say. Thank you. I, I think um, one of the things that, one of the biggest motivations for me for doing this game and not just sort of copying other games was um, I, I like the idea of a game that if I go back to a level and I try it again, it's sort of exactly the same and I can try and like rethink and, and retry my strategy. So XCOM is one of my all-time favorite games and so I'm not knocking XCOM, but if you replay a level, it's never going to be exactly the same. And so if I'm struggling with a level and I talk to my friend on the phone, they can't replicate what I'm going through. Right, right. Um, but with don't get bit, you can a hundred percent go. I can't get past this. What are you doing? How are you making it work? Yeah, I like that. That's an in, that's an interesting. I feel like more games used to have that. It was more more like sameness, I guess. And now mm -hmm. it's all about lots of luck and randomness and all kinds of things and all kinds of games. Um, so that's an interesting aspect I didn't think about. Yeah, I had a few people have mentioned to me that our game is probably. And to be clear, if anyone, you know, to whoever's listening, um, our game is definitely an indie game. It's a small game. Um, you know, it would probably take you three hours to, you know, roughly to maybe do that first journey and then another, you know, two to three hours to the second and then the third. Um, but I, I've been told by a few people that our game is probably good for people who aren't used, haven't maybe played a lot of turn-based games and want to start experiencing it. Because in some of the other bigger turn-based games, there's so much to keep track of. And you are trying to figure out like how to build out skill trees and, and what you should be collecting and how you should be prioritizing. And, and mm -hmm. that's all really great. If you want that kind of, you know, Hey, it took me three hours to get through one XCOM level kind of thing. <laughs> um, but we're not that. And that's cool too. Right. Like, so I Absolutely. think we're a good place for people to start to experience that. I, I can see that. I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm not like a turn-based expert, though I play a fair amount of them. In terms of like XCOM and Fallout's, mostly the, the old Fallout's one and two and stuff sure. like that. Um, I can definitely see that. I would definitely recommend this to someone dipping their toes in like turn based uh, combat or yeah, turn based sort of strategy game. Yeah. Or, especially if they like a bit of zombie stuff, which almost everybody does. Um, sure. That's a very easy recommendation as well. Um, yeah. Doesn't break the bank. I think it's $10 as well. Um, it's it a is really a easy, easy, really easy pickup. Just... Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, we, Steam just had their um, summer sale, and so obviously, every I'm sure everyone's aware, you know, games on Steam go on sale, and um, and so we participated in that. And so, if if ten dollars feels too steep, then just you know, wait for the next sale. It'll, it'll wish wish list it; it'll it'll show up. Yeah, um, it's crazy how many people. It's funny, like when we our game went on sale um, at first, when we first launched it, um, 
you know, we didn't, we still haven't sold a ton of copies and that's okay. Um, but a ton of people put our game on the wish list. And for a moment, it was kind of frustrating. <laughs> but then I realized that's exactly what me and my daughter do. Like we put our games <laughs> on wish lists and we wait for the sale to come along and then we buy the games. And so the sale just happened. And sure enough, you know, we sold uh, another bunch of games. Nice. Um, and so that's cool. I'm, I'm happy with people waiting for sales. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we could probably spend an episode talking just about that specifically, especially the way perhaps you could say storefronts facilitate that, like Epic and Steam, um, and whether that's a good thing or not, um, in terms of the like uh, developer versus player kind of relationship. Um, that's that's interesting. But it's nice to know some more people got your game. That's good. They should. Um, yeah, and it's um, just, you know, I never... This was never meant to be a, uh, I'm going to make a lot of money doing this. This was meant to be, let's have some fun during a pandemic. And just the idea that there's people out there that I don't know that are playing a game that I made and enjoying it and, you know, leaving lovely comments, you know, reviews for us is just really satisfying. So I don't, um, it's, it's already hit everything I wanted it to do. Like, awesome. Oh, that's, that's very nice to hear. Um, yeah, I was. Um, you mentioned, I believe, you made this game on a Mac. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, not necessarily. Um, plan. I I have a Mac. Uh, I live in a Mac universe, and um, and it just turned out that every single other person on the team. I, I know a lot of creative people, and creative people tend to go towards Macs. Not that you can't be creative on a PC, but every single person who worked on the game uh, and the eight development people were all uh, Mac people. Um, some of our playtesters were PC, and that was on purpose because we wanted people to be able to make sure it worked on PC as well, too. Um, right. But yeah, so you know, the graphic artist is working in Photoshop on on a Mac and with a tablet, and uh, you know, our composers doing the you know music, um, you know, in court and court um, and uh, I don't know all the proper terms, but you know, kind of like recording it with instruments, but then doing all the mixing on a Mac and. Uh, our lead programmers uh, coding on a Mac. I'm doing my coding on a Mac and the level design on a Mac. Um, it's all the game's a Unity game, which if any gamer out there has played indie games, that like most of them are done in the Unity engine. And um, it's it's honestly there's so many tutorials. It's fairly easy to learn. And what's really cool is you know anytime you program on um, Unity, there's an option when you're done to say like uh, you know make this work for Mac, make this work for PC, and then it exports you know, both games. Um, and it, it pretty much worked like that. So it's, it's kind of frustrating to me sometimes when I see some people will actually go to the trouble of making a game in Unity, they'll release it for PC, and they won't release it for Mac simply because they don't, like, have a Mac to test it on, I guess, and it makes them uncomfortable. But it's literally a checkbox and sort of like an extra export. Right. That's interesting. Um, I haven't run into that too recently, but back at, there was a time I did gaming journalism as a main job. Um, and I ran into that a few times because I would pursue this or they would say, you know, I saw a game, looked interesting. You know, I'd be more out and about on like hunting, trying to hunt down games so I could, you know, talk about them or interview them or whatever. And I did run into that like, hey, is your game coming to Mac? This looks really cool. I'd love to, you know, play it or I know people who love yeah. to play it. And sometimes, yeah, that would be an answer like I'd like to do it, but I don't have the Mac to test it on. I can't remember the game, but some guy did it and he tested it somehow through some weird virtual environment on a Mac, like virtualizing a Mac and testing it. <laughs> like wow. he went through the extra effort. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was able to play test one. I can't remember the names now. I'm bad with names. One or two small games or whatever, along with maybe some other people, but sure. trying to as well. Like, yeah, I'll play test your game or I'll bug text it or whatever. Like, does it launch on Mac? Yes, it does. Yay. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we didn't, we didn't run into any issues. And, you know, honestly, if I were to do another one and um, I could imagine doing another game uh, one day, especially because there's a lot I've learned on this journey. Um, yeah, working on a Mac was was absolutely no problem. So nice. I just wish there were. And this is obviously a different topic. I just wish there were more games for Mac. I wish there were more, you know, sort of AAA releases coming out for Mac. But absolutely. I mean, it's it's related. You know, like you want to see more games for Mac, you make one yourself. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's very laudable. I admire that a lot. Um, it doesn't matter if it's an indie game or AAA game or whatever. You've contributed to Mac gaming and gaming in general but also Mac gaming. And I think that's super awesome. 
Uh, a lot of respect for that. Um, and your games are very fun for the, for a zombie puzzler. So that's also cool. awesome. Um, yeah, uh, we've talked a bit about that on the show before. We're not going to pivot hard into that, but like, um, you know, we're in an interesting time. Apple's changing a lot of hardware. Um, and our general optimism among the team here on the show is that like, we're in a bit of a down period for sure, but very interesting things seem to be just around the corner. We, you know, we hope, yeah. obviously we don't know we're not profits, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hope so. And, um, but I'm definitely encouraged by the quality of the indie games I see out there. So now that I have a game, I'm much more aware of other indie gamers and I've joined other groups for indie gamers. And, um, I didn't realize how rich the indie community was and, um, you know, that, I mean, there's definitely been some moments where I've been like, our game is so small compared to these other, like, um, even like bigger, more amazing indie games. People are doing crazy cool things. Um, you know, I was playing, um, uh, pedestrian the other day. I don't know if you've ever played that. And, and it's, uh, basically made by these two brothers and the game is phenomenal. And, um, and I had an issue trying to use my controller with it at one point. And so there was an option to email if you had a question and they got back to me in like 10 minutes. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Like just the level of support and the passion they had for their game and for the community playing it. And, um, so I, I am very proud to be part of that indie, uh, game developer community. Funny you mentioned that story because I've actually had pretty much the exact same experience with the developer of Tacoma, uh, mm-hmm. where I sent them an email about control support and the day after, they said, oh, there's a beta on Steam. Try, uh, try that one and see if it fixed it. And it fixed. So, yeah, there's uh, definitely good support in that space. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, sometimes with some of the big games, there's no one to reach out to. And it sometimes it feels like, you know, if you do have a bug, you're just, you know, spending an hour searching on Google. Did someone else have it? And have they found a solution? But with the indie games, oftentimes you, you really can reach out to the, the programmer and the team and, and you know, figure out how they did it. I um I was playing um, uh, Blood Will Be Spilled the other day, and um, which is a really great turn-based indie game. And um, the lead actor for that is the same actor from uh, Deus Ex, oh. which is kind of trippy because you got this like you know multi-million-dollar AAA game and this deep you know uh, a Clint Eastwood sounding uh, lead actor, and he's the same guy who's appearing in this little indie game. And so I, I think there is a lot of support for indie games in ways that sometimes people don't realize, like, there's, you know, whether it's composers who work in both or, or actors, um, which is really cool. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not pronouncing this correctly, I'm sure. Elias Tophesis <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah, the guy who plays Adam Jensen. Um, yeah, yeah, is, him. yeah. Like, such a unique, <laughs> gravelly sort of voice. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan, so that's that's really. And here he is, like this this Matrix character in Deus Ex, and then he's like this mosquito cowboy in uh, <laughs> Blood Will Be Spilled, which is hysterical. Yeah, I love it. That is that is funny. Uh, you yeah. mentioned Pedestrian. I haven't played it, but I've um, I know what it is. Uh, I well covered it, quote unquote, in a news like new Mac games video with Mr. MacRate. Some yeah, uh, could have been last year or this year. I don't remember when it came out. Um, so that's why I'm aware of it. Very, also very cool indie puzzle game where, um, you're going through like construction sites and basements and all these places with signs and you have to manipulate like with a stick figure, right? And manipulate yeah, you, you play the environment. As the stick figures. Yeah. yeah. You are the stick figures in the signs trying to get from place to place. Yeah. Visually it's, it's super cool. I didn't know it was just yeah. made by like two guys or brothers. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, and Casper is mentioning Tacoma. I believe that's Fulbright Studios, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I feel that way as well. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you're, let's just say XCOM because we're talking about it. Um, I mean, the game is a big community around it, but if you want to like, it, it doesn't feel accessible. Big teams don't feel accessible, basically, largely yeah, because you're often dealing true. with a publisher, even like, or, or a PR person yeah. rather than like the person who made the game or one of the people who made the game. So that can also be a little frustrating sometimes. Um, or yeah, they get back to you within a week <laughs> or yeah. whatever, you know. Uh, Another game that was a big inspiration for us was um, Into the Breach, which is an indie game that I thought was insanely well done. And, um, and I was also, it was inspiring because you look at their credits and it's, you know, I think it's about half a dozen people who made that game. Um, 
and uh, and just the idea that such a great game could be made by just a few people working together uh, was uh, really cool. I messed around with Into the Breach on... Um, actually, I believe it was released. I got it for free somewhere, honestly. That's why yeah, I played nice. it. Um, I might have been the Epic Store, one of their free, you know, their free weeks. Um, oh, right. It's from the makers of FTL. That's why. Subset Games. Yeah. I knew I'd, I'd remembered something somewhere. Cool art style. Uh, yeah, nifty little turn-based puzzle game as well. Combat sort of yeah. save cities from aliens type thing. So... Um... Going back to don't get bit for a moment. Um, something I've been thinking about is that it's it's kind of interesting to have the mix of a zombie theme and that's more slow, methodical puzzle turn-based system, where you often see zombie games being these fast-paced uh, shooter action type games. Um, how did that theme and that kind of gameplay style come together? Um, so two things really. One is um, I love zombie movies. And uh, so, like I said, I'm a filmmaker first, and the idea of doing um, a zombie game was really appealing. Um, but then it also was helpful because uh, we're not brilliant programmers. Uh, we're, you know, beginner programmers. And so zombie logic is easy to program, right? Zombies see brains, try to eat brains. They try to go straight towards brains um, <laughs> versus... You know, if you're if you're trying to do combat with characters who have to think like humans and and choose when to defend and when to hide and when to come out and how to work together as a team against you, that's so much more complicated. I yeah, I know how much time it took us just to get zombies to move, you know, or in a somewhat straight line or around the edge of a car. Um, so uh, the thought of trying to program, uh, you know, humans uh, is sort of terrifying. So those two things really uh, made it seem like a good choice. Love zombie stories, zombie movies, and uh, and coding simplicity. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, working with uh, within constraints to be creative within it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, when, I, when I teach filmmaking, I always tell my students, um, you know, uh, you have to learn how to make your limitations work for you, right? So if you don't have a good microphone, then you shoot a silent film or a music video, right? If you uh, if you don't have lights uh, to work with, then shoot outside and the sun is your light. You know, you work with what you have. Very clever. Um, I also think it's worth noting as someone who's played uh, like shooters and strategy are my primary games in general, it's very noticeable when the AI isn't good enough or smart, and it's a common complaint in all kinds of AAA games. Like, the game looks good, and, and the shooting's fun, and blah, 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 but the AI isn't very smart, and they're kind of stupid, and you know, because they're meant to mimic humans, and when they're really good, people also notice that, like, wow, this is really good, and they're really cool, and they're really engaging. So I think that's, a, yeah, a huge step, like a, a big gap from this sort of symbol, or like monster, you could also play zombie with maybe monsters or whatever. Not exactly, but non-human yeah. entities. Um, so when I, you see a human you're battling, you expect a certain level of behavior, um, I think, in many games. So Sure. But I've, um, I'm old, and I've been playing games forever, and um, I've, I love first-person shooters, and I remember um, uh, Half-Life was a big eye-opening experience for me because um, I remember playing that game, and you know, at some point you're fighting this, these military guys, and, and I threw a grenade at them and I'm just, you know, it lands behind the box. They're all going to die. And then the guy picks up the grenade and throws it back at me <laughs> and, and I die, but I'm smiling the whole time. Like, yeah, I, I threw the grenade too soon. I, sh I had to count to two and then throw it. So it would explode when it landed. You know what I mean? Like, like they programmed the AI to be smarter than that. And that cool feeling of, wow, this is a next step up in gaming. Right. And, and a lot of people do that now, obviously like the AI has gotten a lot better in games. Um, but our, our zombies are dumb. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, they, but it's cool. Uh, let's, cause let's talk about your game a bit more and make it sound good. Cause it is good. Um, <laughs> there is quite a few different zombie types. There's your typical, like slow shambler zombies. I forget the names, but there's, I think, isn't there like six or seven different I, ones total? There's, there's nine zombie types in the game. Yeah. So there's like right. slow zombies and, and torso zombies that are missing their legs and fast zombies. And then, um, we have uh, what we call our mutant zombies. Um, and those were really fun to come up with. I mean, we basically had a massive brainstorming session where we kind of listed, you know, 
two dozen different zombies that we could have. And, you know, some were getting crazy, like, should zombies fly? Should zombies be gelatinous? And you can, like, move through them or, you know, I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> um, but at some point you start trying to come up with your, you know, well, what is the tone of our game? And uh, we wanted each new zombie. So as you basically every two or three levels, you're coming upon a new zombie type. And we wanted that new zombie type to keep the game interesting, but also start to make you think in a different way. So, you know, for example, uh, early on in the game, you get a weapon and you, you find a gun and you can use it to shoot zombies. Um, but if you fire the gun, it makes the zombies aware. So now zombies that weren't going to pay any attention to you are now going to be aware of where you are. So do you choose to fire the gun? Well, then we have a zombie called a screamer. And, you know, if the screamer is aware of you, he's going to scream and that's going to do damage. And so now you have to decide, like, am I going to be quiet or am I going to take him out first? And so you're always just trying to make the zombies cool while at the same time making it fun for the gameplay. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, the ramping up of the zombies and especially the levels where there were several of them in the same time. Because then you're dealing with uh, the runners who I think could move like four spaces and also had high damage. They were really yeah. trippy to deal with in hordes because then there's the slow ones and there's like a little biter coming up behind you then like maybe yeah. there's a screamer or those buggers in the water they were oh god they're frightening the, uh, like the, the watery zombies, tentacle yeah. zombies Everyone hates those. <laughs> yeah but but in a great way like yeah. and there's one level where you're on like little islands and you got to cross water and there's like screamers and tentacle guys and that was one of the more challenging ones that took me a lot of tries five or ten tries or something to get by that one but i really enjoyed oh. it. it wasn't frustrating it was fun Oh, good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you stuck with it. I had a, I had a friend who basically texted me like, you know, I'm on level 24. I hate you. You know that kind <laughs> of like this is just too hard. Um, and uh, so hopefully people don't give up. We actually ended up um, uh, adding one of the last things we added to the game was a skip option. So you can go into the settings and you can turn on skip. And so if there's just a level that's making you miserable you can press a skip button and, and jump to the next level because we didn't want people to stop playing because the level just ruined it for them. I mean, hopefully people don't do that and they take the time to kind of figure it out because obviously they all can be completed. Um, but that skip option is there for people who are like, tentacle zombies, no thank you. That makes sense. I didn't actually know that was there, but that's that's a solid feature. Maybe I just forgot. Um, there's also a, um, there's a hidden menu, which I can tell anyone who's listening. Um, on the main menu of the game, there's our logo, Don't Get Bit. And there's a little hex above the eye, which is part of our logo. And if you click on the hex, you can jump to any level in any journey. Ooh. So if you're just like, so if you just are like, I want to get to level you know, 27 on the second journey, or I want to cheat and see the endings for journey two and journey three, uh, you can. I don't think you'll appreciate it as much. Uh, but you do have that ability. Um, we actually needed to put it in there because our playtesters needed a way to be able to jump to levels. And if our playtesters right. said, hey, level 17 is not working, I needed a quick way to be able to jump to level 17 and try it. Um, so we left it in. Um, I don't think anyone stumbled on it. Like, no one's told me that they have. Uh, but it's there if people want to just jump around. I'm going to have to check that out after. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Well, that makes sense. It reminds me a bit of... Um... Like old marathon bungee stuff. I think you could shift or control click on a certain menu, and you could actually level jump anywhere. Yeah, um, which was which was fun. Um, kind of a thing like you want to play the game at least once, but like sure. I would definitely go back and play um, some of the don't get bit levels. Several of them were like standouts for me. Uh, I don't remember their names, but I I jump around yeah, and go, yeah. aha, this is the one. Um, I think there was one where terrible the names, but um, there was a huge horde in front of you, and I think you had to travel. A down and to the right across a little bridge or something or get on a boat yeah, yeah. maybe um, yeah, that yeah. one was so intense even just visually because suddenly there's yeah. just hordes of zombies all over the screen and they're right in front of you and you have to balance yeah the running and there's maybe some cars to kind of try and block with and yeah um, we tried to try yeah. to mix it up so it just felt you know different and um and it was just like little bite-sized chunks i mean i've i i I think um, two things I've discovered with our game is that I think it has a very small audience, which is okay. Um, you know, that for people who are into a indie, you know, turn-based game, that's, um, that's not everyone. 
Um, I have a, I had a few friends who bought the game, and they thought they were going to be running around slashing and, and shooting zombies every few seconds. I was like, it's just not that <laughs> game. I'm sorry. Um, but the people who do like that kind of game really do seem to dig it. And so far, uh, I really should knock on wood, but so far every single review we've had on Steam has been a thumbs up and really appreciate that. Um, nice. So at least the people who are finding us seem to really like it. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Um, may not have the widest appeal, but it does what it does very well. And for the kind of gamer who enjoys that, it, it's an easy thumbs up for sure. Um, I did leave a review. I even had a critique or two, but it was an easy, easy thumbs up. And I really enjoyed my time with the game. Um, if anything, I actually wanted more from the game, which is kind of one of my critiques, I think. Yeah, was yeah. like, oh, I would have actually enjoyed more story, but how much, you know, how much can you, can you do? Um, but I found it interesting enough to critique because I actually wanted more. That was where that critique came from. Like oh. I wanted to see more from this, from these characters. Cause let's talk about the characters a bit. You don't just have one character, minor spoiler alert. You come across other companions and, and maybe a pet and this and that. Um, so you get to control multiple characters with different stats, different weapons, and they're added to the puzzle of all the zombies as well. Um, and of course they have some narrative there. Um, so it is, yeah. you've created a fun little world for we, sure. Um, I knew that um, I, I, I knew that I wanted four characters. I knew that um, I wanted the party to grow over time, and I knew that I wanted to uh, tell a story through a series of monologues. And um, and once I quickly realized that our main character was going to be this eighteen-year-old uh, uh, girl, Cassie, um, I uh, I'm a writer, and, but I wanted the eighteen-year-old voice to feel more authentic. So I turned to my 21 year old daughter and was like, she's also a writer. And I was like, can you write these? Like, let's come up with a story together. Like, this is the arc that we're going to go on. This is the journey. But, um, will you write these monologues? And she, um, was kind enough to do it and put up with all my critiques. And, uh, it was a really cool, like father daughter experience building this video game together. Cause she's also oh, wow. a gamer. Um, and she had some, like, she had some rules, you know, that she wasn't going to do. She's like, none of these people are going to fall in love. And, you know, uh, she's all these like tropes and things that she wanted to avoid, you know? And she's like, uh, there's this character, uh, female character, Sarge, who's pretty kick-ass. And she's like, she's not going to have some kid that died in the apocalypse. And she's pining for this kid. I've seen that too many times. And, you know, so she was, uh, she was really, uh, adamant about who these characters were and who they should be. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was really cool working with her. That is very so, cool. And I'll oh, go ahead, Casper, please. I was just going to say, uh, so did you write the, the you two write the story as you were making the game, like in parallel with doing level design and all the other stuff? Or was the story something you prepared in advance and then developed? So I had a, that's a great question. So I had a basic premise for the story um, with not a lot of details. Um, just the idea that it was going to take place in New Jersey, because that's where we live. And in southern Jersey, there's this area called the Pine Barrens, which is this massive wooded area that basically goes across the state, you know, roughly from Philadelphia to the coast. And we wanted our character to be on this journey. Um, and so we just started uh, sort of brainstorming together, like, you know, where would they go? What would happen? And we we wanted the game to feel as logical as a zombie game feels right so um you know uh why is she going into the pine barrens well you know she's trying to get to her uncle's house and um and then you know who's she going to meet along the way and, and what's going to change her i don't want to give away things because there are some twists that i think are cool um mm -hmm. but uh you know why is she doing this and, and who are these people that she's meeting along the way? And we, we, you know, we talked about things like, should other characters talk besides Cassie? Should we, um, you know, does everyone survive? Does everyone not? And you debate all of that kind of stuff. And then you, you finally come up with a, a story that matches the gameplay, but hopefully also, you know, as we've heard from a bunch of people, each level starts with a monologue from the main, uh, from Cassie, you hear Cassie's voice every single time. And, um, you know, you want that to be something that's enjoyable, this, you know, 30 to 60 second long monologue that takes the story forward, but also tells you a little bit about the world that she's in in that moment. Yeah, I was so, going to comment. No, go ahead. 
I was just going to end up with just saying, um, so yeah, so we, we came up with it together, brainstormed a lot, changed a lot. Um, you know, occasionally we would say something like, uh, that boy, that was really dark. The next monologue has to have some humor, you know, and, and then I'd say to my daughter, write something funny, which is a terrible thing to say to someone. Um, but then she would do it. And so, yeah, that was cool. Nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing how you mentioned you worked on this with your daughter together. That's super cool. And I I definitely felt that. It felt, I mean, I guess I don't, I can't, like, if I were to imagine myself as a young girl in the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> that, like, that feel, those writing, those thoughts, maybe that outlook, again, there's some cynicism, there's some humor, um, there's some scrappiness there, you know, sort of a youth, youthful zeal. You know, um, and it comes through as a character, even in these little monologues and even in this short, you know, three hour game or so. Um, so, yeah, when we were, uh, when, yeah, I was just going to say when we were casting it. So uh, when you're casting for actors, you typically go through backstage, which is uh, where you find actors. And and we posted the monologues and we said, you know, we're looking for a voice actor. This is once again in the middle of the pandemic. And so a lot of actors looking for work. Um, but we kept getting these actresses saying, oh, these monologues are so much fun. Like, who wrote these? Like, they sound like a female. Like, I think too often female characters are written by, you know, men who are not capturing an honest uh, female voice. And so um, they were just really appreciative. And and so that's why, like I said, we we are originally going to cast over a week. And within two days, over 300 actresses had submitted the monologues for us to listen to. So wow. you imagine us listening to the same monologue from 300 different yeah. actresses and trying to decide, you know, who's good, who's great, who's not good at all. And um, it was a fun challenge. Yeah, that sounds like quite a list, a, a spreadsheet to keep track of <laughs> a lot of columns. Yeah, um, it was. Well, it was uh, it was we, we narrowed it down to 10 and then we narrowed it down to three um, and then. uh the actress that we found, uh, Cammie Hines, just uh, was really amazing. Like now she's, you know, it's at some point the actress becomes the character. And uh, I can't imagine Cassie's voice being anyone else's. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with her uh, her acting in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm also very impressed. Game, uh, the voice acting really stood out as, as being absolutely excellent. Uh, and Thanks. those little narrative snippets at the beginning of each level was really something that made me think that, I would want to see more of the game because they, you know, you kind of get hooked on it. Like, Oh, I want to hear the next bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was thinking, I was going to say, I was thinking the same thing. I was watching some of the videos too. And it's like, maybe I want to try this out. Yeah. I I mean, I hope so. I hope people do try it out. I mean, in the end you do have to like, you know, strategy puzzle, turn-based gaming. Um, But there's a, there's definitely a bit of a story there and it's, you know, like for example, I love the game into the breach but there's there's really no story. It's you know, oh you're saving the earth from aliens, uh, kill the aliens. But there's no real narrative. Um, there's a game I play called Dicey Dungeons, which I like a lot, uh, which is a card um, combat game, and uh, it's super fun. But there's no real. They they kind of pretend like there's a story, but there's no real story. So we wanted there to be something that made you care for these characters and root for them, and um, so I, I think we did that, but. It's up to the player. Yeah, you know, it definitely comes through, in my opinion, anyway, someone having played. Same thing. You kind of want to see, well, you want to get to the next level because it's a new level, you know, new puzzle, new zombies, maybe new character or whatever. Um, and again, new snippet, new snippet. Um, yeah, um, the actress, you know, she should, she deserves more work. I hope she's getting it. <laughs> she's really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, she, she, I, she is. Uh, I just worked with her again on an actual film. Um, so, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's really good. Yeah. Fantastic. Interesting. I wanted to ask a little bit about the process with steam, getting a game on steam. You've made the game, you have the game, here you go. How do you go about, you know, getting it published on steam? What's that? Yeah, it's, well, it's both, um, straightforward and a pain in the ass. Uh, you know, can I I say that it's, um, yeah. yeah, So it's, um, you know, anyone can do it. It costs $100 to put a game on Steam, and you fill out an insane amount of paperwork. I mean, you're you're literally giving them, like, your bank information because they have to be able to pay you every month, your tax information. Um, it's a solid couple of days of just filling out information and getting verified, 
Um, the amount of information just to create your page and put your images up, it all has to be, every element of it has to be approved by Steam. Um, so it's not a, you know, like I have a, a couple of friends who have games on Itch, and, you know, Itch is a much more like, hey, you can throw anything up here that you want, which is very cool. Hmm. Um, but for me, since I am, I consider myself a Steam gamer, and that's where I primarily go for games, there was something about having my game on Steam that was really important. And so uh, even now, there's just there's a pride of, like, I have a game on Steam. And, and um, you know, the minute our game appeared on Steam, like, if you just type the phrase, don't get bit, which is not that weird a phrase. Like, we're number one on Google, not because we've sold 50,000 copies, but because it's on Steam. And, you know, there's just a sort of a cachet that comes with putting it on Steam. Uh, the downside is, um, you know, Steam takes a lot of the money that comes in, um, you know, so uh, there's, um, I don't know if people know this, but like Steam handles all of the transactions, which is great. But so they're taking out um, all of the taxes and all of the uh, the overseas. There's like, they do all the, um, uh, what's the word I want? Um, Current, like currency translating? Yeah, and... currency translating. Yeah. And there's, um, there's okay. special taxes in other countries. They take those out. And then after all of that money is gone, then Steam takes their 30%. Um, so in the end, you know, you're, you're probably ending up somewhere more like 55 or 60% of what you're selling in the end. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge them. I mean, my game wouldn't be out there if it wasn't for steam. And the idea that, you know, I I go back far enough that I remember like going to a video game store and there's boxes and you're picking out your game. So I appreciate that, you know, this is a way that I can distribute my game to the world. Um, but uh, it's not it's not easy to get your game on Steam. Once it's up, then it's like really easy. And now I just get to sit back and, and watch people download it and play it and review it. Um, but putting it up there was um, a little overwhelming for a week or so. I can imagine. Yeah. No, I, I think you should be very proud to have a game on Steam. That's super cool. That's like, uh, you know, elite cred or something, you know. <laughs> I got a game on Steam. Yeah, let's go. Um, it's uh, that's cool. It's definitely impressive for my students when I'm teaching teenagers. And, you know, like I said, I'm older. So when I'm trying to, you know, if you're trying to convince teenage filmmakers that you're cool and you're like, oh, I got a game on Steam. then suddenly it's like, what? Like, that's <laughs> cool. Yeah. It is. Have you had it's any consideration cool. about publishing to other platforms or in storefronts as well? Um, so perhaps reach a wider audience in case some people don't look for games on Steam, but perhaps Epic or the App Store or something like that? Yeah, I mean, so we've thought about that, whether it's, you know, the App Store or um, Itch, which I mentioned earlier. Um, I, I I would be open to it. It's um, honestly, we're just not selling that many games. So it feels like it would be maybe a certain amount of energy to have just a handful of more sales, but maybe there's a greater audience out there that I'm missing. Um so I'm not I'm not opposed to it. Our game's been uh, out now for six months. Um, maybe that's something that we should start to look at. Yeah, that was that's an interesting. I was had that in the back of my mind as a question. Casper beat me to it. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know about the audience. Obviously, Steam does account for the vast majority of you know PC, Mac, Linux, digital downloads. Um, App Store is its own beast. I don't know what how difficult or not it is to get on there um i was curious about things like epic or good old games and i don't like know what those requirements are either i'm less familiar uh i have all these platforms downloaded but i primarily game on steam as well um itch is a very itch i was thinking of it as itch.io because it's itch.io it is i guess it's just called itch (laughs) it is itch.io and i'm sure they're mad at me for just saying itch so okay i wasn't sure Uh, that sounds i think everyone knows them as both itch and itch.io anyway so yeah that's fair uh yeah they're they're really neat i found a lot of um i guess like prototypes random demos almost like pre-early access stuff that might later show up on steam i've bumped up on itch and um I don't know, something like Ravensfield or I don't know, some other like random shootery games. I was trying to find, trying to do a video with Mr. McRide on uh, like top Mac shooters. It was honestly kind of hard going back to that mention of like, we wish there were more games. And I ended up uh, yeah. finding several on itch, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, what you see a lot of on itch is there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, 
indie developers who are you know coming out of college they're going to college for game development which you can do nowadays and oftentimes you know your junior and senior year you have these requirements to actually like make and build games and that's like how you graduate it's like your thesis project and i find a lot of those games uh are ending up on places like itch because there's there's no cost to get it up on itch um and you know as you would expect there's a tremendous range of wow this game is terrible and full of bugs to wow this this game is actually kind of amazing and how did this fly under the radar you know the tricky thing is um sometimes finding those games which is what you guys do really well with you know your um uh your youtube channel and and your podcast is letting people know about some of these other other things that are out there yeah absolutely that's the goal we've been We've been just discussing internally an idea of maybe a new format because we're trying, well, we as me, um, trying to cram everything into one episode, you know, for like an hour. And we ran like an hour 45 the other week talking about all kinds of fun stuff. But it's like trying to cram like new Mac game releases or interesting, very like game specific things along with all these other topics usually ends up kind of being too big. So we may like every other week do a different one or or at least once a month have like a game special show something there's a few ideas flying around but basically sure. highlighting all yeah interesting games you might have missed or flown under the radar or are worth talking about worth checking out yeah i mean i honestly i get at least half the games i buy i've gotten because of your youtube channel like you know i'm watching your reviews and and you know i wouldn't have heard of it otherwise and um and there's so many games coming out right now it's um one of the things that shocked me is when we released our game, which was just a sort of a random Friday in January, it was the first day that we were like, it's ready. You know, like we could, this we'll do it this day. Um, there were over, it was like 60 games came out that day on steam. Wow. And wow. it wasn't, it wasn't a special day. It wasn't like, Oh, it was like, you know, 60 days were going to come out the following Monday and another 60 were going to come out on Tuesday. And, um, you know, so to get noticed in that, sea of games is tricky it is it is um yeah um yeah i I help miss it's not my youtube channel just to clarify because mr mac right listen stewie is his name um his channel i just help out sometimes but um we collaborate in any case um but um you know a a lot of sites also do this like pc gamer rock paper shotgun you know game game sites yeah Uh, some of them have recurring columns of five games you might have missed on steam this week and they feature some of these random or weird or odd, often indie kind of games, or just something that is sure. something unusual, and highlights them, gives them some link or gameplay video. Um, some of them add some comments, like "Oh, I played it." It's like this, um, and I took inspiration from that as well. Um, I mean, sometimes coincidentally, they're Mac games. Often, not often. Sometimes they're not. But like, um, you know, the original. This is technically a relaunch of an older podcast. Ted and I were a part of. Um, <laughs> from several years ago, but like one of my original goals was basically to do that, to highlight Mac gaming more. Cause there is more to it than people think. And there's more games out there than people think. And sometimes I've had people say like, be shocked that some AAA game or even an indie game was like, what? That's available on Mac. I didn't even know just cause they didn't know. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. so yeah, trying to highlight, put a spotlight on um, Mac gaming or people who make Mac games or games in general um, is, is something I'm passionate about. And I like, uh, like to try and do. do you, quick question. And if this is too much of an aside, um, just tell me is Apple arcade hurting AAA games coming to like steam because now Mac is funneling gamers in that direction. That's I think that's go ahead. Different. Go ahead. Casper. Yeah, I, th- I think th- the audience for Apple Arcade is slightly different than the audience that would normally look at Steam games anyway. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily that big an influence. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, Apple Arcade does more good than harm. Um, good. Mostly because it's also focused a lot on iOS, where it pushes away some of the microtransaction-heavy mobile games in favor of more substantial game games. Um, that that aren't just storefronts for buying gems or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, good. But yeah, it, it is a pretty big topic that we might uh, do separately at some point. But yeah, I think in in the grand scheme of things, it's more good than harm. It, the fact that it's curated is a big deal. Um, I have perhaps more 
less optimistic feelings than Casper on that. Um, I do think Apple Arcade in general is a good thing. But at the same time, I don't think the apps, Mac, Mac App Store specifically, because not the App Store, the Mac App Store, the MAS, I don't think that's a good thing for gaming. And that reason is because of their restrictions to release a game on the Mac App Store. It can't, you know, there can't be like third-party calls or APIs. And th- I mean, this is a bit of a personal bias because um, Aspire Media way back in 2013, September, released Call of Duty Black Ops 1. And they stripped out a ton of major features from the game to put it on the App Store. So I was bitter and salty that a game, you know, I was expecting to have these features in. A bunch of them got cut because they had, you know, they wanted to get it on the App Store. So it's this two-edged sword of, and I've heard from Aspire and Feral, and must be true for others, um, the App Store actually gave them a ton of new sales. Because suddenly on every Mac was shipping the App Store. You just click in there, it's boom, and things are featured and spotlighted, and here's Tomb Raider, and here's Civilization, or here's this indie game. Um, So I think in many ways it's helped Mac gaming exposure in a big way, and I give them a lot of props for that. That's terrific. It would be like as if Steam came installed on every Mac as well, for example, or every PC, or whatever, or Epic did, or any, you know, pick your platform. Um, But, like, that's that's like a broader um, overview of that. Your specific question of, like, um, is it hurting AAA games coming to the Mac? I don't think so, necessarily. I mean, it could be, because some of these games, mostly games that require multiplayer or have built-in voice chat or something like a, um, what do you call it, photo mode, theater mode, anything like that, probably can't be on the App Store. Or if it is on the App Store, it would have to be stripped of those features. Um, sure. That would be an issue. So. You know, Mac gaming is in an interesting place um, or a multiplayer specific game, maybe a co-op heavy game like Borderlands, very co-op heavy game. So not like multiplayer PVP, player versus player. But uh, if you have Borderlands on the App Store, you can only play with other people who own it on the App Store. Oh, for example, Uh, same for Civilization. You have Civ 5 in the App Store. You can only play with other people on the App Store. Um, Kind of caveat to that. Um, if oh, yeah, you go play ahead. local area multiplayer, you can play with PC users on Steam as well. Ooh, it just doesn't work online, but you can do local area. <laughs> so just travel around and connect with people locally. That is a nice, I like that tidbit. So it's this weird thing of, it's a double-edged sword. It's helping a ton, and it's given a lot of exposure, a lot of sales, kept a lot of these companies going. But it also, in some cases, is restrictive. In the long run, it's probably more harm than good. I also agree with that sentiment. I'm a little maybe uh, fired up about it because some of my favorite games have been like, you know, put in the walled garden of Apple. Um, But I love Apple. I'm very passionate about it. I love Macs. I prefer them for all my gaming. But I would probably never recommend anyone go to the App Store to buy a game unless it's single player, basically. But even then, it's like, um, you know, what kind of, you know, and this kind of goes back to a little bit of what kind of gamer are you? We had an episode, I think it was episode two. you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a little turn-based zombie indie title? Well, then do don't get bit, you know? Um, if, well, I guess there's just not too many... The 32-bit apocalypse, as we call it, knocked out some things like Left 4 Dead, which was, like, the go-to, like, Mac yeah. zombie shooter, like, faster-paced thing. Uh, it also took out this fun little indie game called... Um, shoot, what was it called? Hell something. Not Hell Let Loose, that's a World War II shooter. Um, no More Room in Hell. That's what it was called. Yeah. And it was a really cool free-to-play, like, zombie co-op game. More methodical and slow, survival-y, heavy. Not, like, fast-paced rush, Left for Dead. But So we kind of lost some of our, our, you know, zombie games yeah. there. But, yeah. um, you know, yeah, what, what, do you, what kind of experience are you looking for? So the average Mac gamer isn't looking necessarily, so it seems anyway, for these kind of like big AAA experiences or flocking to XCOMs or Tomb Raiders or what have you. Um, a lot of them seem cool with Apple Arcade or just what's available on Steam as is or whatever. Um, but that's really a matter, of, I think, of exposure and a matter of um, um, knowledge. It's just a knowledge gap, in my opinion. Uh, right, Mr. Mac, I think right? that's actually one of the strengths of... Um, the app store on the Mac because Steam is while it does support Mac and Mac games, there's a lot on Steam that's not available on Mac. So if you click mm. the store button, you'll see a lot of stuff you can't just play on your Mac. But if you right. open the Mac app store and you click on the games tab, everything you see is on the Mac. And Apple will highlight 
a lot of the games that are available on Mac. Um, and that way, if there is a big AAA release on the Mac and it's put on the App Store, it'll be highlighted. And they'll also highlight a lot of indie titles because of the smaller catalog of games. There'll be more exposure, exposure for each one of them. Yeah, they do the uh, like editor picks of the month or week even, and often there's an indie game in there or a game of some kind. Um, and occasionally they even do features, like little write-ups uh, yeah. on it. So I do – no, overall it's definitely cool. And Steam can be very messy. There's so many sub-features and layers to Steam, whether it's like the marketplace or workshops or cards or inventory items. Uh, you know, it also has like, I don't know, groups. And there's just all these. It used to have a Steam Greenlight, which is how you would have had to get on Steam, I guess, previously. I yeah. guess that's canned now. I used to spend time in there upvoting games. <laughs> so there's this whole like Steam ecosystem that exists well beyond just the gaming so for like ease of use absolutely app store is way better in that case or possibly even something like epic um or or good old games or something perhaps for like ui reasons um yeah but is there merit to getting your game on more platforms could be i mean i can you know that's up to you guys um may get you some more sales i mean like, yeah, I don't know if you have to run around filling out days of paperwork and paying fees to get on stores, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe not. Cool. But, um, yeah, it's, um, I think if we were to go back to your original question about the app store and funneling, like funneling games, AAA games, um, I feel the limitation is in the app store, the limitations, um, the Mac hardware and Mac support, basically. That's that's the real limitation. And we're seeing that change not only from the 32-bit, the 64-bit exclusive, but with the Apple transitioning to Silicon. That's really the crux of the matter. Um, not to mention COVID happening, teams are slowed down and all this stuff. We saw a drastic you know, decrease in game releases from the big people in the Mac space like Feral and Aspire. They were releasing a bunch of stuff into 2019, and then at the end of it, burp, like a hard yeah. cutoff. We got like one thing. Not even from Aspire, but from Feral in like the last year and a half. So that's going on too. Um, but really, it's the hardware. But the M1 is doing really cool things. The Apple Silicon M1 chip is doing really, really cool things. Um, and we're very excited about it around here and the team. And I think people should be in general. Um, and we're going to have a fellow on here named Andrew in a couple weeks um, who runs a YouTube channel. And uh, he's created a wiki, Apple Gaming Wiki as well. And he's all about the M1. He's like an M1 fanatic um, and exploring what it can do and the kind of games it can run, um, often even non-natively through like crossover parallels. So he's like a bit of an expert, I think. So we're going to have him on here in a few weeks to talk more about it. And that will also be very very relevant to this conversation. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, but like the future of Mac gaming, you know, it's a very interesting thing. In some cases, it's a little bit of a nebulous thing. You know, I'm an optimist. Um, it's easy, I think, to say a lot of bad things about it right now, but transitions are often awkward and bumpy and we're in a transition period. So we've got to wait till the dust settles and, you know, see where it picks up. Sure. That's, that's where I feel. That's where I feel it is. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. Any other, uh, thoughts, questions, or comments from Casper or Ted? Mm. All set. Oh, I wanted to ask you uh, just before we before we let you go. Um, you've mentioned um, you know creating films and teaching students and stuff. You want to talk about that for a minute or two, or plug yourself or anything? You know. Um, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I mean, I know this is all about gaming, so I don't want to um, digress too much. Uh, I um, I'm a filmmaker. I uh, but my wife and I own a film school called uh, New Jersey Film School. And uh, if you're in New Jersey and you're looking to learn filmmaking. Um, or you just want to stop by and talk about my game in person, uh, you can go to njfilmschool.com and uh, you can find me there. Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. Very. Uh, I like how family-orientated everything you do is. Uh, it's 90% good and 10% uh, we're going to kill each other. But that's fantastic. Um, well, I'm yeah. over here in Vermont. I'm fairly close. Maybe I'll be able to swing by one day. Um, fantastic. And of course, again, we were here talking about Don't Get Bit, built by Chris. Type in go, Don't Get Bit on Google or Steam. It'll come up. Go check it out. Um, yeah, you can. It's it's cool. It's worth worth having a peek if it sounds like your kind of game. And if it isn't, well, then it isn't. But uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> check it out. Oh, sorry. 
I did have one final question. Yeah. And maybe you can't answer it. But do you have like any intent or inkling at all to make another game? Or was that kind of a one-off product of, you know, the, the, you know, the COVID thing, basically that environment? Yeah. My wife would say I do not because um, <laughs> I spent, this is like in 10 months, I probably spent about a thousand hours working on the game. Um, so it was pretty all consuming, but all consuming in a fun way. Uh, I can definitely imagine doing another game someday. Um, and because uh, there's, I don't know, I, I'm a man, so I probably shouldn't say this, but I think it's maybe like childbirth where like you very quickly forget about the pain that you went through and then you just have this beautiful baby that you love, right? And so there was a lot of pain along the way in making the game, but now there's this game that I love and I made it and other people are enjoying it. And so there's part of me that would like to do it again someday. Um and if I do, uh, it'll definitely be uh, a Mac and PC game uh, going forward. Ooh. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, nice. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Chris. It's very informative, very interesting to hear your experiences and everything about that. Really appreciate you sharing it and taking the time to come and talk with us. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, thank you for having me. This was a real pleasure. I, you know, I think most people who make games are probably super happy to talk about what it was like making them. You're just the you're just the first people to ask, so I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, more nice. people should ask. You're very interesting. Your story is very interesting. Your family is amazing. The game's really cool, and uh, yeah, really a lot of respect for what you do and um, yeah, the work you've you've put in to contribute to gaming and, and Mac gaming. Um, appreciate it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you very yeah. much. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.